The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Uh, thank you, Maria, and uh, congratulations to Mark wherever he is. We haven't seen him in about a week. He's been in Dallas uh, finishing up a lot of hours of graduate work, 60 hours over many years. He Fuller and Dallas, he's ready to rock. So, the, uh, you know, this morning I, I have to issue this. Thank you to every mom in this room. I didn't want to say anything at the start of the sermon because you know I'm going to get choked up. It's just, thank you. You know, my mom, I think she was 27 years old. She was having her third child. And basically, in a sense, she was dying of cancer. They had to cut her throat open, (laughs) take tumors out, and give her life for another about 30 years before she went to be with the Lord. She was a believer in Jesus. Ultimately, her faith carried her through, and we benefited from her love and sacrifice. And I think everyone in this room has a story something like that. Moms, what can we do without them? Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to say some things at the conclusion of this sermon uh, this morning, but we cannot thank you enough. It's beyond belief the sacrifices you make just in giving birth to children. Thank you. This morning we're still in Mark. Uh, John the Baptist uh, has uh, called out a king for his sinful ways, and he has been uh, murdered. Uh, (laughs) A happy start Uh, to a sermon. Jesus Christ has battled Satan in the wilderness, endured every possible temptation with flying colors. He is the victor. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is coming to this area to establish his kingdom, his lordship, bring glory not to his name but to his Father's name, and to redeem people from destruction. Now, after John was arrested, and this is in chapter 1 of Mark, I'm in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, the English word gospel, according to the Evangelical Theological Dictionary, is the uh, usual new... New Testament translation of euangelion. Duh, how can anyone say that word? It's, it's Greek. But it means this, according to Tyndale, the renowned English reformer and Bible translator, it signifies this. Evangelion is good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings. It's just flat out good news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing and dance for joy. The gospel is the joyous proclamation of God's redemptive activity in Jesus Christ on behalf of man enslaved by sin. 
The kingdom of God, which the Lord Jesus was inaugurating to bring in with full force and power, he entered our world now in the power of the Holy Spirit, determined to give good news to men and spread it throughout a world. And he succeeded in that task. The kingdom of God in the New Testament is the divine authority and rule given by the Father to the Son. Christ will exercise this rule until he has subdued all things that are hostile to God. When he has put all enemies under his feet, he will return the kingdom, his messianic authority to the Father. The object of the divine rule is the redemption of men, the redemption, the buying back of men and their deliverance from the powers of evil, the kingdom of this world conquered by the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. When he walks into a room, I think one of our songs, something happens. There is something about that name, the name of Jesus. It means salvation. It means expansion. It means the very glory of God, the, the un, unspeakable excellence of who he is comes into our lives in conversion. And we are redeemed. That means we're bought back from our sinful craziness to be put on our feet, steady, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Peter tells a story because you see what Jesus is going to do is he inaugurates his kingdom and goes into villages and towns and places and spreads the kingdom. And it's fascinating to watch what he does. He doesn't stay for a long period of time at different places. He is a man with a mission. He has about three years to accomplish what he wants to accomplish and inaugurate the kingdom of God, that place where God is king, those hearts where God, which have turned to the Lord in full assurance that he hears, receives, cleanses, renews, and empowers. And you'll remember then in Mark, we're hearing Peter's story, Simon Peter uh, as one author called him the big fisherman. There's the idea that he was large and in charge, and we know he was flawed like, uh, like I am, like all of us are, and yet Christ loved him. Peter's story is told here in Mark. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, this is the Lord Jesus saw them, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What is the task? What is the dream? What is the vision? To go fishing. Oh, isn't that nice? And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Fishing for what? For the very souls of men. And, and, and they understood fishing. It's very fascinating, the, the group he takes. Here's Peter telling the story, and he can't help but dwell on some fishing stuff and some net throwing. There were all kinds of nets they would throw out with that were weighted, and you could drag them through the water, and they would gather fish after fish after fish. And when he said, I will make you fishers of men, that was right down their alley. They had some a prevenient, some early understanding of what that meant. That meant they were going to go out in a certain sense into the ocean of mankind and make a difference. Oh, doesn't, doesn't, don't we all long to make a difference in our world in some way? A good difference, a positive difference. Well, that was what was going on here. Why they left to follow him, maybe they'd heard of him, maybe they'd seen something. I think there was something not only about his name, but about his person. I think this is the kind of person that just comes into the room and everything changes, everything changes 
And he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He simply says, and here's the thing for the believer here in this room, follow him. Follow me. Give your life to him wholehearted. Let, let him lead you and guide you from place to place, stepping stone to stepping stone, even out into the seas and the storm. But know that as a result of that, a net will be filled with the very glory of God. He loves people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came with purpose and he begins to staff his team. And he starts with fishermen. Going on a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. Immediately, there's that word again. He called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. They left everything to follow the Lord Jesus. He gathers his staff, teaches them how to fish for men by his example. This sets the stage. The Messiah is going to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. Well, where will he go first? You'll remember that in Philippi, the apostle Paul goes to a town and there's no synagogue there. You know, there's kind of a logic to this. Uh, when you want to talk to people who are at least at the boundaries of faith, you would first go to the Jew and then perhaps to the Gentile. And, and God so loved the world that he was winning Jewish people to himself. And what happens is some towns in Philippi, there was no synagogue. There was no place to meet. You'll remember Paul had to go by a riverside and find Lydia and others there and talk to them about what he had experienced in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he had seen on the road to Damascus. But here, we have the Lord Jesus going to a, into Capernaum. Now, I've been to Capernaum. I went on what's called a familiarization trip many years ago to go into Israel. It just was a cheap inversion and some pastors got to go. And we saw everything we could in about a 13-day period. I am no expert on the land, but I've been there. And what they think, my best recollection is they took us to the footprint, if you will, and some of the stones that they think was the synagogue in Capernaum, which is a place on the Sea of Galilee. It was a place where in, in, in a Jewish thinking and in that time, and I'm going to go off the notes here, in any area... If there were 10 families there, the law taught, or at least the interpretations of the law, perhaps oral traditions, insisted that a synagogue be made, some place of gathering. And so in this little uh, part of uh, uh, Israel, uh, there is this little room. It's not much uh, bigger, I would say, than this uh, group of uh, chairs here, the footprint of it, as, as best I can recollect. And there were at least 10 families involved in that particular establishment. So they go into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A stranger teaching? No one knew about him. No one knew the miraculous nature of him in this time. Not much had gone out about him. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus begins in a synagogue this was not the temple where God was not only worshipped. This is not like the temple in Jerusalem. That's not what it is. It's not like this morning. There's not singing and, and, and sacrifice, the sacrifice of lambs and goats and bulls and all this kind of thing, as happened in the temple. No, this was quite different. This was the local Jewish gathering place for learning and meditation. It was the Jewish synagogue whose primary function was to teach men the word of God. The three priorities were prayer, 
reading the scriptures, and then interpreting them to the people. And this was the place where Jesus chooses to unveil himself to those he loved, no matter what their response. He was entirely appropriate to use this place as a sounding board for local oratorical and interpretive talent. What they did was almost anyone could teach in these synagogues. There were no hired people in the synagogue. And so the discussions, the the leader of the temple uh, would uh, invite different people in that place to speak. Or if a stranger came in, they took the ruler of the synagogue, as he would call, took the opportunity to invite him to talk. So Jesus had an immediate audience, an immediate beginning for his ministry. The teaching and instruction that went on there was more important than the activities of the temple. But I did note, and I I love them for this, that in these temples there were other helpers, a number of servants, and their titles don't matter. But they would give to the poor as part of what they did. You give to the poor through your tithes and offerings. I'm sure you give uh, privately, but about 10%, it's more than 10%, it's significantly more than 10%. But the bottom, some some is secret given. The bottom line is, uh, uh, of the money that comes here, It's going out both to missions and to the poor, and we try to be very careful as to what we give. But it's it's beautiful that that tradition, thousands of years old, continues almost in the same form. What they would do is the very most destitute people who had nothing, they would uh, guarantee or work to give them 14 days, two meals a day of food. This is what uh, people like Bob and Karen are out there leading us to do in uh, TKC Cares. It's just part of ministry. It's part of the open hand and heart. It's what we do. It's, it's what changes a heart to release what one has to the glory of God. And that's what was happening in the temple, uh, in, in, in the synagogue. Again, the temple was one place in Jerusalem where large things were happening. But in this small, tiny place, something is about to happen that is uh, marvelous. Marvelous in our sight and in the Lord's sight. Jesus is coming. And the thing that was somewhat more than surprising, but shocking about Jesus is the phrase that he spoke with authority and not like the scribes. Well, the scribes of that time were, in a sense, uh, the attorneys. They had paid an awesome price for their knowledge. The memory work that they'd done beggars description. These were brilliant, brilliant men, and they could refer to Rabbi Akiva or, or uh, 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 the, the teachings of Moses or the Word of God in, in the, the, the Torah, the first five, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They, they had memorized all of it in an almost startling way. There, were, there was oral law that was only kept in the mind of these men, so they were worthy of everyone's respect. But when they came in or anyone came in, they would reference their commentaries, etc. I do that all the time. I have to do it. It's my bread and butter, but not Jesus. This, is, this is, was a shocking thing. He's standing there in the middle of the room, and as I, as I view this in my own mind and imagination, he begins to speak, and it's as if something is reverberating, something powerful, something unbelievable is going on. Just He speaks, as that song says, and the sound of his voice is so sweet. The birds hush their singing. And it says, he speaks with authority. 
Not like the scribes, not making reference to all the rabbis. No, no, no. He is the rabbi. King of kings and Lord of lords has come into God's holy place to issue forth a message. Interestingly, here's what happens. Remember, he's here to push back the the dark forces that are overtaking his particular world. And immediately, there was in the synagogue, in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. The very name unclean spirit, without going into it, we live in a world, the, the Bible teaches an invisible world of forces that we cannot finally understand, but we know by their fruits, we know by the events. I didn't want to do this apologetic, and I won't, it's Mother's Day, but there are dark things going on in our country, in our world, that beggar description. It doesn't seem like humans can even think up the stuff that is being done, and yet it's going on. What is that? Well, Jesus Christ spoke to a spiritual world that he was going to vacate from the premises of the human personality. His thing was to come upon people with power and great glory and take over the person that is you and me in the best sense, not in the sense of taking away all our, 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 our beauty and our intellect and all that, but to assert his kingdom's authority in the hearts and minds of men and make the, bring beauty out of ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. Immediately, however, in this synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons knew who he was, and he had come into his own house. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. I don't think he had to scream. He may have yelled. I don't know. He, he probably only spoke loudly enough to be heard in the room. And here's what happened. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He com commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Every uh, few years I tell this story. I'm in a courtroom uh, about a, almost a half a century ago. I was a, a deputy sheriff, a bailiff, a law enforcement officer. There were police around the place. This is Arlington County. This is the big city. You're there, and I, uh, 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 something is going on. There's a hearing going forward, and in the front, there are little desks. There's the judge, and then behind the judge is a lockup place where we have bars and, and keys and stuff like that. The deputy, I'm uh, responsible for the deportment of the room, does not have a weapon on him. Uh, you, you, if things get crazy, you're supposed to die in while some people are calling for assistance in some secret ways that I don't need to get into. But in this room, in the front of the room, there was a man, and he's facing the judge, manic. He was about six foot six. He was a slender man, as if he had been on, shall we say, some substances. And, and he was like this, but he was so animated in a bizarre way. Behind him back in there was a beautiful woman who tried in the midst of a very crowded courtroom with lots of tension in the room. I, as I best can recollect it, there were some law enforcement officers starting to show up because they knew things were getting uh, antsy. 
the lady is trying to communicate across a bunch of rows in front of the judge while this gentleman is being tried. And uh, this doesn't go on for long because the judge, I think it was the judge who was a former FBI agent, uh, asked me to escort the guy out of the room. But before that happened, as you might imagine, I was praying. I was a Christian. I'd given my life to Christ. And I knew that I could dive on this guy. It's just the messiest thing in the universe, what might happen in that courtroom. And I just prayed, oh God, what is going on here? And in my mind, I, I was praying and a, a word came across my imagination. It was witchcraft, strange, witchcraft. I'm here guarding people. I understand this was a secular environment, but I am not a secular person. I am a person that Jesus lives in. And he said, if you will, witchcraft. And so I'm going, okay, you know, what do I do with that? So I had to go up and escort him behind closed doors into the lockup. And I said, sir, and this is entirely inappropriate and I do not apologize. I said, sir, do you know anything about witchcraft? He stops, his eyes like are bugging open, and he says, yeah. In fact, my wife out there is a Satanist, the woman he was trying to talk to. And I said, because the spirit of the Lord was in me, and may I tell you, I don't know, I, I was buzzing as if there was electricity in me. It's a very weird experience, and it happened. You guys know me, this is what happened. And I said, sir, Jesus Christ wants to set you free from what is binding you, or words to that effect. And he's looking at me. There's nothing more said. He calms down, walks into the elevator, goes back to where he was. I think within 24 hours, he, he, he or in, in close proximity to that time, he lost a very close relative to death probably someone associated with drug abuse. He was associated with drug abuse. And those of you that know the Greek know that pharmakia, the word that is somewhat the root of, uh, the, the root of the thing, is pharmacy or drugs. Oftentimes, when real strange activity is going on, there is a real relationship to drugs. And this particular gentleman certainly had a very close relationship. But I can tell you this, he was moved by the little interaction to such a degree that the police who went with him to the funeral of his friend like the next day or, or very soon after told me that, Bill, he has started to go into Bible studies in the jail for the first time. Jesus Christ had gotten his attention and settled him down. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Two points, Jesus comes into the room, people change. Second point, he speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet. He wants to speak to us in our hearts. We need a relationship with him. It's not just a one-way prayer. It is a loving friendship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he whispers to us at the strangest time to give us hope even in the midst of this kind of craziness. And at once, Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, and here's the mother's part, lay ill with a fever, and immediately 
they told him about her. And look what he does. And he came. And he took her by the hand. If you've ever been with the, the dying or those that are diseased, the sweetest moment is, is when you reach out and take that hand or just touch that fevered brow. And that's what Jesus says. He can't help but just thank him for his love. And he reaches down to a mom, to a mom who has labored for, for some of these fishermen for a lifetime. And he cares about mothers and the pains they endure and the labors they go through. And he came up and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Is that not so like? Not all of us have this kind of mother, but it's like my mom. It's like my dear wife who is unbelievable. It's like Becky or, or, or any one of you ladies, I'm sure, in this room who's given her life for her children. Down for the count with sickness in one moment, but the touch of Jesus raises her up, and knowing him by his spirit and hand, she could only respond with tenderness and service to her, to her Savior, her sons, and their friends, for this is how she had lived and why she is memorialized in this moment of mirror, miracles. Do we... As children of God, yet understand the sacrifices our mothers made, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, both to birth us and instruct us in the way we should go. Mothers, can we ever thank them enough? The scripture says this, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. There's a passage of scripture where Paul says to Timothy, come before winter, come to me, I'm going to die in Rome, is what the extension of what's going on is saying. But he wanted his spiritual son, Timothy, to come with him. And he said, please come before winter, because when winter comes, it's too late for Timothy to come because of the storms. I'm going to conclude with a couple little things here. One Sunday night, Clarence Edward McCartney preached a sermon on the text, Do Thy Diligence to Come Before Winter. In the message, he said, Before winter or never. There are some things which can never be done unless they are done before winter. The winter will come and the winter will pass. The flowers of the springtime will deck the breast of the earth and the graves of some of our opportunities. Perhaps the grave of our dearest friend. There are golden gates wide open on this autumn day, but next October, they will forever shut. Love your moms now. Love the people around you now. Come before winter. There was present in the service a medical student from Jefferson Medical College. When he returned to his room, the text, come before winter, come before winter, repeated itself over and over in his mind. He thought, I had better write a letter to my mom. He sat down and wrote such a letter as a mother delights to receive from a son and went immediately and mailed it. The next day in the midst of his studies, he received this telegram, come at once, your mother is dying. That evening he entrained for his country home, he found his mother still living and she gave him a smile of recognition 
and satisfaction, a smile he never forgot. Under her pillow was the letter he had written her after the Sunday night service. Before the winter of death comes to our friends and loved ones, especially our moms, let us speak to them words of love and encouragement and like Jesus of healing. When their ears are dulled in death, such words will mean nothing. Do thy diligence also. Come before winter. Let's bow our heads to pray for moms. Lord, we thank you for your love in giving us our mothers who, like your son, many of them laid down their lives for us. And for that, we give you thanks and praise. Glorify the name of your son through moms. And if their moms are here or sick or overwhelmed or separated from their children for, for any reason, comfort them in their affliction and their loneliness and let your healing touch be upon them, we pray in Jesus' name.